I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, I'm Chris Gunnis, and welcome to The Art of Change, a series featuring artists who are passionate about changing the world on the Barbican's podcast, Nothing Concrete. Today, films across frontiers. In the next 20 minutes, I'll take you on a whistle-stop tour of some of the world's hottest borders, past and present, from the Korean Peninsula to the Berlin Wall and the hinterland between the US and Mexico, all of which feature in a new season of Barbican Films, Borders and Boundaries. Also today, we go to Northern Ireland via Vienna, and later we'll meet Gali Gold, head of cinema at the Barbican, who devised the film series. Each film in this series actually looks at very personal, individual stories, specific communities, and the way that the physical borders affect their lives. First Wall, a film by Simone Bitton, set along the fence, the barrier, the wall that divides Israelis and Palestinians. Wall is a poetic meditation that digs almost literally into the roots of the Israel-Palestine conflict as Bitton charts the barriers, geographic and personal, that politics constructs between the two people. I caught up with her in Paris to find out more about the inspiration for the film. Simon, the idea of making this film came to you one summer evening in 2002 while watching the evening news. What actually happened? I saw, I think it was the Israeli Minister of Defense showing first images of a project. You could see a beginning of a construction and he was explaining that they were going to build a wall all over the country between Israelis and Palestinians and that will solve all the problems. And it was very, very weird. And I remember that I thought to myself they gone crazy. And I wanted immediately to film it. I wanted to film the wall while being erected because I wanted to film the landscape while it was destroyed. And this is what I wanted to catch, the moment of the destruction. The film 
is permeated with images of construction equipment disfiguring the biblical landscape. And that destruction for Bouton leaves a deeply personal scar, bifurcating her very identity and negating the basis of her existence. The wall distresses me and I really feel until today that it cuts me in half because because of many reasons. First, because I am an Arab Jew. These are my origin. This is my identity. I am a Moroccan Jew. I speak both Arabic and the Hebrew. I have the two cultures in me. This wall was clearly meant to say to people like me that we should not exist, that Jews and Arabs should be separated. The film steers clear of overtly political Middle Eastern politics, yet do you accept it is nonetheless a profoundly political film? Yes, of course. It's an act of resisting. What I'm trying in this film is to destroy symbolically the wall. I cannot destroy it myself, you know. I have no mean to destroy it. I can destroy it by images. I can let my viewer have a glimpse at the possibility that it could be destroyed, even before it is completely built, that it has to be destroyed even. This is what my film is saying from the first to the last frame, that this thing is insane and it should not be built, and if it is built, it has to be destroyed, yes. Despite the filmmaker's gritty determination in the face of naked state power, The piece is pervaded by a melancholic lyricism. Its simple message is summed up by the inhabitant of a kibbutz that Bitton meets towards the end of her journey. When you close people in a cage, you imprison yourself as well. This is what he's saying. And he's saying that the Jews, my people, who really crossed the oceans to be out of the ghettos, and of the cages, they imprison themselves by building a wall around them. By building a wall around the Palestinians, the Israelis are building a wall around themselves too. to Ireland and the film Trouble by Mariah Garnett, whose father, as we learn at the start, was the subject of a BBC documentary in 1971, which portrayed his relationship with a Catholic woman. Maura McMullen is happy. She's a telephonist in the office of an electrical company, earning £10 a week. But Maura's romance cuts across the peace line of the most divided city in the British Isles. Maura's home is in Belfast. She was christened and brought up a Roman Catholic. David Coleman is the man Maura will marry. The prospects of normal married life in their home city are clouded by only one factor, her religious upbringing and his. That documentary led to threats against her father, which forced him into exile, which is where, in Vienna, years later, Mariah Garnett catches up with her father, whom she hasn't seen since childhood. She then travels to Northern Ireland, recreating his life in Belfast, not least by lip-syncing her father's own words herself, dressed as the youthful David. 
there's genuine pathos as a cross-dressing daughter quite literally becomes on screen the father she yearns to understand. So when I spoke to her in the US, I put it to her that the film was a way of getting to know a father she didn't grow up with. My parents split up when I was very young. We had this long relationship through the mail. Of course, growing up without him like in my immediate home definitely was a motivating factor for making the film. More specifically, I went to go visit him in 2013, and at that time he was getting back in touch with his family. So that was like what really gave me the idea to make this film. You know, during that visit, he also told me a little bit about his youth and about the troubles and kind of framed it as coming out of a civil rights movement where Catholics and Protestants were trying to unite against oppressive capitalist regime that was keeping the working classes on both sides in really horrible living conditions. So that was something I didn't know either before this one visit. So after I visited him in 2013, I decided I wanted to make a film. And I think I even floated the idea then of me getting to know him as he was reconnecting with his own family and then also exploring these elements from his past because I I thought that was really interesting. It was something I'd never heard before about the troubles in Northern Ireland. So Mariah, tell me, how did you actually go about making this film? Basically, I just, I showed up at his house (laughs) um, and I was going to stay, I stayed in his art studio for six weeks and that was the longest time I'd ever spent with him and I brought all my camera equipment with him and I had this idea in my head that I wanted to make this film that was like documenting us getting to know each other and in my mind it was going to also have this sort of like family reunion element for him I wanted to document him getting to know his family that didn't really pan out but yeah I kind of ambushed him I just showed up with all my gear and told him what I was planning and he was like okay you do what you like and ultimately Mariah was it a healing process Yes, it really was, I think. Even though I, I like did have some kind of relationship with my dad before I started the film, those six weeks of extended time to cook dinner. And, you know, I think I showed up thinking that if I sat down and got information out of him about, like, what happened and, you know, what his life was like and how he grew up and all the, like, answers to concrete questions, then I would, I don't know, that would be healing. But actually what was healing was like going for walks and cooking dinner and going to movies and talking about whatever, kind of like anything. But those big questions, that's actually where I got to know him and have a relationship with him. And was it healing for your father? I think so. Yeah. I mean, like it it really, I mean, I feel like it really gave us a relationship, which we definitely, I mean, we had something before, but it wasn't like a relationship. And Mariah, tell me what you were trying to achieve by using this technique of lip-syncing your own father. I'm always kind of grappling with this idea of documentary and sort of like the power dynamics that come along with being a filmmaker behind the camera and putting a subject in front of the camera. That's kind of a strategy I always use is inserting myself into the fabric of the film as a way of making the audience question like whether this is just my opinion or a fact, kind of trying to complicate the narrative of like I am the maker looking at this thing and telling you what it is. That's the technique you use generally, but how did it work in this particular instance with your father? With my dad, it started out as for me, just a way of like understanding where he came from. So I started reenacting the archival footage and sort of like wearing that outfit and walking through some of the neighborhoods I was walking through and trying to like embody his fear or maybe paranoia or he seemed really scared in the archival footage. So I was trying to like act that. And I think it gave me sort of an insight into the environment he grew up in. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And then where he came from. I've come to the Barbican in London, and I'm actually on the stage in Cinema 3. I'm with Garley Gold, the head of cinema, who also curated this season, Borders and Boundaries, of which Wall and Trouble are a part. Garley, the series is very broad-ranging, a film from the Korean Peninsula, a film from Mexico, Guatemala, US, Berlin, the Berlin Wall, in which one of the characters falls in love with the wall, a Korean film which reaches back to the 1950s and 60s. How do you go about curating a series like this? How do you choose? What criteria do you use to choose these, these films? You know, let's start from the fact that we as a team, and I'm doing that curatorial work with a number of film experts like myself, it's not a singular kind of task. We came about the idea thinking, how would we approach that very significant anniversary of the, the 30th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall? How do we approach that through a film program? And it was clear to us, being a department that is a film program that is always very engaged in what's out there, what's topical, what is of interest to the public, what should be of interest to the public. How do we respond to that? And for me, the main issue that the fall of the Berlin Wall marks is the fact that those borders, very physical man-made borders, not only did not start disappearing with the fall of the Berlin Wall, actually what we see around us in the world is the emerging and the multiplication of these borders. Of course, this captures world news daily, and we have the privilege of looking through film at these topics in a different way. How do we go about it? There are so many films that take the border as a main character or that are taking place in the context of that. So first we announce to ourselves, we're not interested in a survey. We're not going to be a stage where every worthwhile and worthy films, and there are many of them, is going to receive the platform of our screens. What we're thinking about is what are those regions and what are the films that really stand out that can also stand out for many other films that unfortunately we cannot show? And in that, we look both at the body of films that we're interested in and also those regions in the world that we think 
highlight the topic of borders these days. You certainly have a very impressive geographic spread, but I want to talk to you about the theme because with both Wall and Trouble, it's about the way that political, external, physical boundaries determine and define inward emotional, if you like, spiritual boundaries. Is that a theme which touches, goes through all of the, the films in the series? Absolutely. So the other thread, you know, apart from looking at the quality of films, the fact that we wanted a range that is international, the particular localities that we were looking at, we were very interested in the way that that affects the personal. So each film in this series actually looks at very personal, individual stories, specific communities, and the way that the physical borders affect their lives. So there will be many other films that might look at the architectural aspects of it, more from an institutional point of view. What we were looking at is the most easily accessible, but also most impactful way in which those borders really make a huge difference to both individuals and communities. All of these films, it seems to me, are about personal voyages and personal discovery through the exploration of borders. Is that a theme that pertains to all of these films? In very interesting ways. If we look at the film we open with, Midnight Traveller, this is a journey that none of us would like to embark on of an Afghan family that has to flee their home country and in the course of three years moves across borders from Afghanistan all the way to Germany. What we get there in that amazing access, all filmed, the journey filmed on their mobile phones, materials being sent to Europe. The parents of this family are filmmakers, so they are living what is the subject matter of that film. What we get here is also a phenomenal depiction of a family under strain, the relationship, growing up as, you know, there are two daughters for the, to this family, needing to embark on a journey to cross borders, to be also confined by borders and to look for a place which its borders will provide hopefully some security. On the other hand, we have a fantastic double bill with architecture and film, two films that actually look at the Berlin Wall, but one of them very playfully look at a romance that a woman develops with the wall, and on the other looks at the community of rabbits that used to live in the no man's land around the wall where their habitat was taken away. So it's not just a simple like, oh, but there was something positive for these rabbits. It's also, of course, <laughs> through their through that very particular prism, look at the communities who actually created a life that was not possible later on when the wall was taken away. I mentioned the film about, again, a romance between two gay men and what a border does to this, how it basically destructed, what tensions it creates. Same thing works in South Korea, where you have relationship, personal relationship created across borders, supposedly forbidden, not just supposedly, officially forbidden relationship, officially forbidden identity, like the one that we see with Simone Bitton in Wall, an Arab Jew that actually within herself holds an identity that the new border tries to deny. Now, you've touched on this. You talked about the newsworthiness of the topics. Weirdly and fascinatingly, so many of the films are about places which are newsworthy. The Korean Peninsula, Trump, King Jong-un, Afghanistan, the Taliban. Mm. Um, what else? Guatemala, you mentioned, workers coming through. Berlin, the Berlin Wall, as you've, as you've mentioned. Did you know when you started curating this that when you actually got to it, it would be incredibly newsworthy? 
Yes, we did. <laughs> Why don't I believe you? <laughs> um, the the thing is, I mean, of course, we work on these programs well back, but the topic of borders has been topical for a while. As you know, dealing with film, we have a privilege of programming things not three years in advance, but like sometimes classical music has to, but sometimes you know six months or seven months in advance. That gives us the flexibility to actually also respond and choose where we focus the program. So while the topic of borders, as I said, is keep being topical, you know, for the last however many years, depends when you where you're coming from, those particular regions, we very carefully chose them because we also knew that they tip into topical, newsworthy stories. Now, you mentioned classical music and the fact that it takes years to programme in advance. I want to ask you something about cinema specifically. Is it particularly a particularly good medium for telling stories about borders and frontiers? Because you can hide a camera, it's very transportable, it's light, you can hide it from the authorities on the borders. Mm. Absolutely, and also, you know, we're looking at both the filmmaking process and also the film viewing experience. So in terms of film making obviously and these days more than let's say 30 years ago you have the ability with lightweight cameras and sound equipment to be transient to move across we see that even in a film that is hardly new Vessler talking about a romance between two gay men across the Berlin Wall. Wall. Most of the filming in that film was done illegally in Eastern, Eastern, exactly, in East Berlin, and the cameras were smuggled by people. Equally, when you sit in a cinema, you are able to look across borders that physically, as an individual, you might never be able to. And I'm talking here, and I will bring something of the personal I grew up in Jerusalem. In Israel, we're surrounded, we were surrounded and still Israel is by borders that one cannot cross physically. I, as a person who grew up there, looked at films coming from other Middle Eastern countries, and that was my only way to look across the border. So I am very much kind of attached to that ability to enable one a point of view that you cannot otherwise have unless you had that camera and that access that is forbidden often by the border. Very finally, what do you want audiences to take away? Clearly they have to enjoy the films. Do you want to engender some kind of public debate, some kind of public discourse around refugees and the current zeitgeist? Absolutely. I mean, we often in our program are very interested in what we say, changing the conversation, but definitely sparking a conversation and maybe changing slightly the the parameters that one uses, trying to move away from the obvious cliches. We want people to first relate to the subject matter, to feel empathy, and therefore also to be aware of the immense effect that those physical borders have. Now, one can have different political views. You can come at it from, you know, different parts of the spectrum. Borders also generate communities. They're not just breaking them. They are really interesting concept to look at when you look at those physical borders that often are discussed only in terms of security, good or bad for a particular regime. We so often do not think about the individuals that actually endure the consequences of that. Couldn't be more topical than being part of Europe still and seeing people 
crossing borders in order to get to safety and those borders being erected on a daily basis in order to prevent that movement. So we're very interested both in generating empathy but also thinking about those very topical issues anew. That was Gali Gold, Head of Cinema at the Barbican, ending the first in this series, The Art of Change. You can find out more about Barbican events on the website barbican.org.uk and please subscribe to the Barbican's Nothing Concrete podcast on your favourite podcast provider. Join me again soon, but until next time, this is Chris Gunnis saying goodbye. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.